details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. What a weekend. Welcome in. It is Michael Groff in exile, and it is Monday, January 18th, 2010. It is a cloudy, global warming-esque kind of day outside, isn't it? Got a little bit of rain this morning. Man, we are expecting a deluge here in the Phoenix area this week. Uh, every day has minimally 40% chance of rain, but most, let's see, I think a 60% chance of rain today, 90% chance of rain tomorrow, tomorrow night, 90% chance of rain Thursday and Thursday night. They're saying some places here in Phoenix could get as much as, uh, well, we could have anywhere from three to five inches of rain possibly. And then some of the upslope areas around Phoenix maybe, maybe could potentially see as much as 10 inches of rain before it's all said and done. And that's, that's amazing. That's uh, quite a deluge for this, not only, not only for Phoenix, but I mean, for an entire year, some places see 10 inches of rain. So this is, uh, this is great. I love it. If this is what global warming is all about, then I say bring on the warming. Uh, what a weekend it was, though. Uh, the football games over the weekend. Well, it was bittersweet. Mixed. I have some mixed emotions about a lot of the games that went on over the weekend. We'll break those down. But unlike last week, three out of four. I hit three out of four against the spread, mind you. Three out of four winners. So I'm going to crow about that. And the one game I missed was, you know, 
It was another case where I, I really picked with my heart, not my head, I guess. Although I, man, I really thought the Cardinals would actually show up, but looks like we're back to the same old Cardinals. We got a lot of analysis there. We have controversy in the NFL from over the weekend. We have Major League Baseball news. Mark McGuire, more fallout from his uh, from his tearful interview with Bob Costas, and then he he made an appearance over the weekend. I have to tell you, St. Louis Cardinal fans, and and I want to say that I've always thought St. Louis Cardinals fans to be kind of classy. They're smart baseball fans. And I, and I don't want to, I'm not going to rescind that statement, okay? I think they are, by and large, I think they're intelligent baseball fans. And I realize they're, they're kind of sticking up for their guy. And Mark McGuire is definitely their guy. But really, um, really not, not showing a lot of intelligence. They were showing solidarity, but not very much intelligence uh, over the weekend. We have to get into that just a little bit, too. Mark McGuire made a big appearance and addressed a crowd. And I guess it's pretty obvious how the crowd reacted to Mark McGuire. Pretty favorably. All right, well, we're going to get into that. We've got a lot of other stuff to talk about as well uh, here on the Monday edition of Michael Graff in exile. But first, uh, let me... Uh, oh, and also, we've got a big election coming up in Massachusetts. It's going to be Martha Kennedy, or as, as uh, Patrick Kennedy calls her, Marsha Kennedy. Very important that we get Marsha Kennedy put back in office. <laughs> oh, it's, it's outrageous. So we've got a big election going on in Massachusetts. Uh, Martha Kennedy versus Scott Brown. Uh, we have, uh, and that's... That's a Senate seat. It was very important. Barack Obama went up there to address it. We have to break this down. Uh, there's, there's many, many issues to discuss. We have one of the best stories, uh, best examples of that's ironic coming up in just a minute. We have a lot of dumbass comments being made by people in the last week since, we, since our last podcast. We have a, a lot of, we're going to call this Dumbass Monday, I think, because we have Pat Robertson making some stupid comments. We have Rush Limbaugh making some very controversial comments, and this is all in response to Haiti, the earthquake in Port-au-Prince, the fallout, the aftermath that's resulted in this. We have to talk about this because the U.S. has pledged $100 million in aid to Haiti. And is this, in fact, a political game? I think that's the question that a lot of people are asking. That's been the center of controversy. Rush Limbaugh brought it up. Other people are bringing it up. What kind of... Look, it's all a political game. If you don't think, if you don't think that any relief effort that goes on across the world, whether it's the tsunami in Indonesia, whether it's the relief effort for Haiti, whether it's Hurricane Katrina, whatever the case may be, if you don't think that there's a political game that goes on all the time with any kind of relief effort, if you think that everything that happens in the world is for nothing more than altruistic purposes, think again. We know this, okay? This this has been. That's, but I'm not, no, is, is what we're doing here in the United States, is everything that we're doing here in regard to the relief effort for Haiti, is it all politically motivated? I don't think it's all politically motivated, but are there political ramifications to it one way or the other? And the answer is, of course, yes. Of course there are. So we're going to talk about that. 
we've got a lot of other things to to get into. Believe me, it's uh, it's jam packed. This is what happens uh, when we don't do a show for a little while, and I'm I'm trying. Listen, I, I'm really doing my best to try and keep up on these podcasts, but it's. It's tough, and it's not that I lead a demanding life with a demanding schedule. I don't. Although I am kind of ahead of schedule, it's uh, 10.15 in the morning, and I'm already recording the podcast, so my very busy schedule. I have to get get all these things done, printing out resumes and getting rejected for jobs. Meanwhile, speaking of people that are going to be printing out resumes, let's see, we have one morning personality here in Phoenix that's on the country stage. Yeah. Well, in typical country music DJ fashion, the guy went out and he drank too much moonshine and got behind the wheel of a car and, uh, well, then he got pulled over. <laughs> Whoops. Guess you won't be talking up another Faith Hill record anytime soon. This guy uh, of the of a morning show on KNIX. What an idiot. And how dumb, honestly, how dumb do you have to be to to get behind the wheel of a car when you're... Uh, you're a morning personality. It's like life is on a tee for you. It's like right there. And then you do something dumb like that. So will he get fired? That's the real question. I'm curious. What up, 2-5-K-N-I-X? If you got yourself one of them rotary phones, dial the operator. They'll connect you to us. Tell Sarah you want to talk to KNIX, make a request, and somebody did that. Here's Faith Hill, the way you love it. I could grant you See, I know how to hit the post. I could be a country, I could be a DJ anywhere. The way you kiss. Ooh, I love watching you, baby. Yeah, that, what an idiot. So, But that's not nearly as dumb as, as uh, this guy, John Jay, from the John Jay and Rich show that's on, I guess, Kiss FM here in Phoenix. And they're, they're even syndicated. Yeah, that show actually got syndicated. It's on in Tucson and, like, I don't know, some city in Colorado, like Grand Junction or, I don't know, Boulder or Avalanche. It was some of the, one of those places in Colorado. Anyway, this dude, John Jay, and I think they're on in San Diego also. Now, I thought John Jay were, I thought that was two separate people, but I guess that's one guy. I thought there was a three-man show, John Jay and Rich. John, Jay and Rich. But no, John Jay is one dude. And it's one of those, you know, wacky morning shows, except they don't play music. They just talk for four hours, which that's got to be fascinating. A top 40 morning show where they talk for four hours. So you have to imagine and I've heard the show in bits before. I, I've heard some of their bits. Um, but I'm sure, yeah, they do Battle of the Sexes and they do, um, man, uh, you know, celebrity gossip. And they have, it's two guys. Then they have the obligatory female that does the news. Hey, where have I heard that formula for a morning show before? Anyway, they have that. And then they have, uh, they have these various bits and they just talk, Okay. So in the process of talking, which you can imagine two radio guys, one's like the straight dude, one's, one's the wacky, the straight dude with, that's, I think that's John Jay. John Jay is sort of the straight dude. And when I say straight, I don't mean heterosexual. I just mean sort of the, the less funny guy, the guy that sort of anchors the show, that's sort of running things. And, uh, you know, he's kind of the guy with a little bit more of a voice like this. And then Rich is the guy that's a little bit more wacky. He's, he kind of he talks like he's got a more of a mid-range voice. And then you have the, the chick. 
you know, sort of the sexy, sultry side of the show. That, boy, man is radio original. I can't imagine why 30 million people are, are going to satellite radio. I, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. How could that not attract listeners? Anyway, so in their quest for listeners and to say things that are outrageous, this John Jay is on there. And he sit there and he's talking to us like, hey, you know, uh, the, the other day I was driving down the 51. Oh, yeah, you're on the 51. Where were you going? Uh, I was going, uh, I can't remember where I was going. I was going someplace, blah, blah. driving back from the station. And, uh, you know, the, the craziest thing happened. So I saw a flash or something. So anyway, he's like, and I got a ticket. I was going like 75 or 80 miles. I was going too fast, uh, clearly. And so I got a speeding ticket. Yeah, so what happened? Well, I got it in the mail. A couple of days later, I got it in the mail. And I remember I was going really fast. And, uh, you know, it was a wacky thing that happened. Yeah, so, uh, so what'd you do with the ticket? Have you play, paid it? What are you going to do? Well, you know what I'm going to do with it? This is what I did with it. I threw it away. <laughs> I'm a rebel. I took, I, I took that ticket and I threw it right in the trash. Well, when you say that kind of stuff on the air, the problem is, is that then there are ramifications for opening your pie hole and saying something that dumb on the air. That is, that is admitting to breaking the law on the air. Now, it is one thing. Now, uh, uh, here's the thing about tickets, and this is the legal ramification. This is sort of the, the weirdness of the law. Here in Arizona, we have photo radar. And we have it on various parts of, uh, we have it on interstates, we have it on our state routes, we have it on some of the street corners, some of it is for red light enforcement, some of it is speed enforcement, etc. The thing is, is if you get a, if you get a ticket in the mail, if you get, and it, it has your picture, and it has your car and your license plate on it, and if you get something that says, hey, you owe us $150 or whatever it is for speeding, and you just decide you're going to ignore the ticket and you throw it away, Basically, nothing bad is going to happen to you. As long as that ticket was not given to you by a human being, as long as a process server or as long as somebody, a police officer, did not physically issue you the ticket, if it was sent to you via mail and you throw it away, they never know you got it. And Arizona law says you have to be served. You have to receive the ticket you know, it's one of those weird sort of loopholes in the law, but that's how it is. And about 75% of the people that receive these tickets, you know what they do? They throw them away. But the difference between the 75% of the people that throw them away and this guy, John Jay, the difference between the two is that John Jay decided to go on the air and say, hey, you know what I did? I got a ticket the other day and I threw it away. I ignored it. Well, if you do that, then... That's admitting that you received the ticket. And once you do that, then you're screwed. You're done. Then the state can go after you for the ticket. And you know, they probably can go after you for more than that. So there is uh, some controversy surrounding this guy. And that's the thing. And then afterwards, when, uh, when one of the, uh, I can't remember, I think it was the, the Republic, they called and asked him about this. And he said, and, and this is this is fascinating. He goes, you know, I, sometimes we get we get so con, uh, conversational on the radio that uh, it, it just seems like a conversation among your buddies, you know, that I, I forget that I'm on the radio, and uh, that's what happens sometimes. And when you forget you're on the radio, 
Uh, sometimes you say things that, uh, you know, later you regret. Sometimes you say some stupid things. That's basically what he told. That's basically what he said in the paper. Well, you know, I've never understood that. How can you forget you're on the radio? Why not say the F word? Then if you forget you're on the radio and you're having a conversation like you'd be talking to your buddies, then how come the F word doesn't fly out of your mouth every five seconds? Well, I got to tell you, you know, I sh no, you don't forget you're on. What happens is you want to be wacky and outrageous because, well, in radio, you have to be. That's just, that's how it is. Again, I can't imagine with this kind of stuff going on on the radio, how come 30 million people have satellite and why are so many people going to their iPods? This is gold, isn't it? Man, I can't imagine. Anyway, in your quest to be wacky and edgy and, you know, push the envelope a little bit, you say things that are stupid. That's what happens. And sometimes you think it's fairly innocuous. Oh, I threw away a ticket. I mean, what are they going to do? Well, the, if somebody... <laughs> A police officer hears that, or if somebody in law enforcement, if somebody hears that, chances are bad things might just happen to you. You might just have a problem if you do that. And if you admit to it, boom, something bad is going to happen. Hate to tell you. And that's what happened here. So, John Jay, that's uh, just another one of those wacky radio things that goes on. Hey, it, uh, I, sometimes I forget we're on the radio. Yeah, I forgot I'm on the radio. I'm surrounded by monitors and a big old console in front of me, and there's switches and knobs and blinking lights. Oh, and let's not forget the big phallic symbol in front of me that is a microphone that I'm talking into while I'm having this conversation. Let's... I'm wearing giant headphones. I forgot I'm on the radio. Can you imagine that? Forgot I'm on the Well, uh... Yeah, this happens to me all the time. I do this I, 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 when I'm doing talk-ups. 1047 Catch Up Happen Up a Water Music Station. Uh, what do you think of all these Jews? Man, I tell you, Jews run the media these days. And man, are they cheap. Here's Kelly Clarkson, Kiss FM. Here's the what? I did. I forgot I was on the radio. It was cool. I, I couldn't believe I just did that. I, I forgot. You'll notice that I hit the post there. I did it perfectly. That's how I roll. I'm a professional. All right. Uh, speaking of, we got to take a break. And uh, when I come back, we'll talk more about a lot of this stuff. We got to re recap the football from over the weekend. It was not a good weekend to be an Arizona sports fan, for the most part. It was pretty bad. But there were a couple of bright spots. And uh, what's going to happen with the Cardinals? That's question number one. What's going to happen with Kurt Warner? What's going to happen with, uh, with a lot of these guys? Darnell Dockett, Carlos Dansby. Um, what's going to... Adrian Wilson kind of summed it all up and said, you know... Next year could be a rebuilding year. It could be. The Arizona Cardinals could very easily tilt back into the NFL oblivion, which is where they have spent all but three years of their tenure here in Arizona and most of their time as a franchise. They've been in NFL oblivion. And there's a lot of teams in NFL oblivion, so they'll have plenty of company. But they could very easily tilt back into that. They could go from 10 and 6 this year to 6-10 and 10 next year. And that's very possible, especially if you think about their schedule that they have coming up next year as well. Could be NFL oblivion. It's hard to say, but that's, that seems to be the, uh, the likely course of action 
uh, for the team next year. All right. You want to get in touch with us, Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show, the screen name. It's always up there. And MichaelGroff.com for more information. This is Michael Groff in Exile. I can hit the post on any song. Why am I not hired? Seriously. Segment number two. It's Michael Groff in exile for a Monday, January 18th, 2010. Loving it. It's kind of kind of sprinkling just a little bit out there. This portends to a wet week. I love it. Mike at KMGX.com, my email address. You want to contact me that way, of course. On AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show is the screen name. And if you're a psychologist in the local area, I'll be making an appearance at an office near you, probably. Especially after this weekend. Terrible, terrible, terrible weekend for the Arizona Cardinals. Getting into it. The NFL playoffs from over the weekend. The divisional round. Man, I don't know what happens to my NFL music. I always have it loaded up before the show, but then it disappears. Even while I'm doing the show still, it's only me in here. And somehow, somebody screws with my stuff. telling you I, I think there's there are I think there's uh, some black helicopters and some uh, some little green men and they come in here and they deliberately sabotage they sabotage uh, my show and that's that's just what they're here to do but whatever okay I've got it now all right we can carry on with this this is very important going in order I hate to do this but we do, I'm gonna recap it briefly because it's just too painful otherwise. First of all, I want to say it was a good weekend for my NFL picks though. Unlike week one of the playoffs where I went one and three and the only game I had right well the only game I had right, strangely enough then was the first game of the week and the only game I got wrong 
was the first game of the week this week. I went 3-1. and one, So let's go through it. Uh, first of all, the Arizona Cardinals went to New Orleans. They went to the Big Easy to take on Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. And for the first couple of minutes of the game, it looked great. Cardinals got the ball on their own 30 to start the game. First play from scrimmage, Tim Hightower. 70-yard touchdown run. Cardinals immediately jump out to a 7-0 lead, and you're thinking, yeah! But then from there, it was all Saints. All Saints all the time. Drew Brees taking advantage of a Cardinals defense that later would sustain two very key injuries. Again, uh, Entrell Roll and uh, Dominique Rogers-Cromartie, both both injured in the game. And Brian McFadden was playing with one arm. So they basically had eight and a half guys out there. And there are other guys were also banged up. So they were almost playing like seven guys. And honestly, I don't think it would have mattered. The Cardinals, the way they were playing defense, let's not forget, even in their win over the Packers, they still gave up 45 points. I think that's lost in the whole thing. Why I ever picked the Cardinals to win this game? Actually, I picked the Cardinals plus seven. So I took them with the seven points. But why I even bothered to pick the Cardinals in this game, I still don't know. Logic would dictate that there was no way they were going to win that football game, and there really wasn't. They weren't ever in that game except for the first three to five minutes. So they couldn't stop anybody, and as a result, they lose by 31. It was Reggie Bush day. 83-yard punt return for a touchdown. A dude had... He was the source, the spark plug for the New Orleans Saints offense. I mean, I could run through all the stats. Kurt Warner, a couple of picks. Then uh, he got injured. Matt Leinart came in. Look, if you think Matt Leinart is the future of this team, then uh, think again. Let's not forget that everybody was talking about how much this dude sucks uh, two weeks ago. And that if the Cardinals had to turn to him in any kind of situation in the playoffs, they were done. Well, they did briefly. Uh, Kurt Warner did come back, but it didn't really matter at that point. Uh, Leinart... Liner didn't screw up that badly, okay? It wasn't Leinert. Uh, he actually completed some passes. He actually advanced the Cardinals down the field. But it, really at that point, the Saints were sort of just in sort of a prevent mode, really. So that game was uh, not really competitive at all. It's hard to really analyze the game. I mean, I could look at the statistics. I, I have them all in front of me. I could try and break it down for you. But here, here's the breakdown. Cardinals needed to make some stops on on defense. They couldn't do it. They did it, I believe, one or two times. They forced the, the Saints to punt in the first half, and that was about it. And the Cardinals couldn't really do much. Uh, fumbles, interceptions, turnovers. That was what we said in, in the uh, pregame analysis of this. The Cardinals needed to play a nearly perfect game. Whoever wins the turnover battle is really going to win this. And that's true of a lot of games, but it's especially true with the Arizona Cardinals. With the way their defense was playing, which was essentially no defense, you could not turn the ball over at all. You could not give the ball to the Cardinals, and that's what happened. That was sort of the analysis before the Green Bay-Arizona game. For both teams, the key was turnovers, and the Packers turned it over, and the Cardinals took advantage of that. And that was what happened. And it happened again um, on Saturday. 
And so the final score, 45-14, Saints blow out the Cardinals. See you later. And really what happens now, the analysis that needs to be addressed is what's going to happen to this team in the offseason? As much as you can say that this is a team, and that that's what we kept hearing over the weekend. Wow, well, this is a, a core of players with a bright future. You know, Kurt Warner, may he might come back next year even if he doesn't. Uh, Matt Leinart, look, Matt Leinart is not the answer. We've already seen that this season. Whether it was when he came in for the in the St. Louis game, whether it was performance in the preseason, or any other time that he's uh, had a, 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 sh- a sniff of an opportunity, he has not taken advantage of it. Matt Leinart has played maybe three good games for the Cardinals, and two of them were in the preseason. One was against the Packers where he threw for like 360 yards and the Cardinals still lost the game. Another was against that Monday night game against the Bears. The infamous game against the Bears where Denny Green had the meltdown afterwards. It was not Matt Leinart's fault that the Cardinals lost that game. And there was another preseason game that escapes my memory now. Maybe it was against the Patriots. But I I know he's had at least three good games, two of which didn't matter to anything. And another one was a loss where he still played well. So Matt Leinart is not the answer. This is a team that, while they do have a good core of guys, Steve Breston, Larry Fitzgerald, especially on offense, early Doucette, I think early Doucette is really, his stock has risen tremendously from the last few weeks. This was sort of a, let's not forget, he was a throw-in. He was a guy that they were just hoping would come in and, and maybe make a catch here and there. Maybe they could go to as sort of a fourth wide receiver. This was a guy that they really weren't counting on to do anything. And yet early Doucette has really solidified himself as part of this team. And it was clear in some of Ken Wisenhunt's comments, and it was clear in how the guy has played. Maybe sort of the lone bright spot for the Cardinals on Saturday, if there even was one. And I would have to say, ooh, really there wasn't. The bright spot was uh, nobody died in that game. Because I would say nobody got hurt, but two guys got hurt. Three guys, really. Kurt Warner, sustained injury, uh, Entrell Roll, Dominique rogers Cromartie, Injured, injured, injured. So that's the analysis of the game. What happens from here on out? That's really going to be the interesting thing. They have some contract issues. A lot of guys coming back. Adrian Wilson said it best. He said, you know, next year could be a rebuilding year. Got a lot of guys with contracts. Are they going to take care of them? Guys are going to want to get paid. Are they going to be worth it? Well, who knows? We'll see. Are they going to need to address quarterback in the draft? I think you, you kind of have to anyway. Whether Kurt Warner comes back or not, it's a, it's a problem. You're going to have to address it. Matt Leinart's not the answer. And if Matt Leinart's not the answer, pretty sure Brian St. Pierre's not the answer. What do you do? Are you going to go, uh, even if, Kurt, let's say Kurt Warner says he's going to come back and he's going to be thinking about it for a while. And that's the other thing. The Arizona Cardinals are going to need an answer from Kurt here eventually. So they're going to need him to get out there and, and give them some kind of commitment sooner or later. This cannot be a Brett Favre situation where he decides in August that, you know, guys, I think I am going to come back. This is a situation where they're going to need an answer and they're going to need it relatively soon, within a month or so, I would say. They're definitely going to need it before the draft. Either way, though, I think you need to go out and address a quarterback. The difference is, do you address the quarterback in the fifth round or sixth round, or do you address it in the first round? Where do you address the need? You're going to have to. 
So, and then other needs are going to need to be addressed as well because whoever you decide, whoever you're going to spend some money on to sign, well, I don't think they're going to be able to retain a lot of these guys. And are they going to want to? Who's staying on the defense? And the defense is really the area that you need to address most. And yeah, probably uh, for the revolving door that is Levi Brown. <laughs> going to probably need to shore up that aspect of the offensive line as well. But you're going to have to do something. Some things need to be addressed, but I would stress defense. Did I just say that? Yes. Let me say it again. Defense is going to be the, the key to addressing the draft. Is it going to be a rebuilding year? Well, time will tell. This is a team that very easily, we've seen this in the NFL, this is a team that very easily could teeter back to NFL oblivion. I don't see the Rams getting that much better anytime soon. But it's the NFL. Who the hell knows? You had four. Right now, you have four gimmies on your schedule. You have two games against the Rams, two ga games against the Seahawks. Gimmies, as far as I'm concerned. But if you can't improve your team, and if your team takes a couple of steps backwards, what was a gimme now could become a real dogfight. And we know the Niners are getting better. That's a fact. The Niners beat you twice in the regular season last year, and they were very close. They were a couple of bad games. Remember, the Niners, they took the Minnesota Vikings to the end. They, it required a, an amazing pass by Brett Favre to Bernard. It was, I think it was to Bernard Berrien in that game. The, it was it week three of the NFL season, and uh, the Niners almost beat the Vikings. They had a tremendous comeback. So the Niners were very close, very close to taking this division this year. Well, you can say, well, not really. Yeah, they were. They were very close. Yeah, the last game of the year, the Niners really didn't have much to play for by that point. But they beat the Cardinals twice. And they're an improving squad. And you know they're going to go out and they're going to shore up that team again more in the offseason. They're willing to do what it takes. It is the 49ers after all. Look, the Rams are a joke. The Seahawks, now that they have Pete Carroll, maybe they're not going to be a joke. Then again, Pete Carroll's history in the NFL, nah, not, not so good. But I don't think the Seahawks are going to stay a joke forever. So this is a team that has a lot of issues. They need to address them, and they need to address them pretty quickly, whether it's through free agency, whether it's through the draft. What are they going to do? That's the question. All right, moving on. Uh, the next game on Saturday, it was Colts, Ravens. This was an easy pick for me. I said the Colts would win easily, and they did. It was 20-3 to in a game that wasn't even really that close. I had the Colts minus the seven. And uh, I said, look, uh, my analysis of this game was simple. Peyton Manning, we all know that he has the credentials. We all know the Colts' offense is good enough. But really, their defense is better than any defense that the Colts' teams have had in years past. And while uh, the Ravens do have a good defense, and I think that's the only reason they held the Colts to 20 points, while the, while the Ravens have a good defense, uh, that offense, Joe Flacco, I'm sorry, you can try and sell me on Joe Flacco all you want. The w previous week, they played a beleaguered Patriots team. They played a Patriots team that, uh, quite frankly, really barely deserved to make it to the playoffs, and they got exposed badly. And Joe Flacco only had to complete four passes. Well, you knew he was going to have to do better than that against uh, the Indianapolis Colts, and he could not. Joe Flacco is god-awful. 
And that goes to show you that if you do have a really good defense, even with a mediocre or terrible quarterback, you can make it to the postseason in the NFL. You don't have to have an all-star quarterback. You don't have to have an all-pro quarterback. You just have to be good enough. As long as your defense is stellar, and the Ravens, they're not the 2,000 Baltimore Ravens, but they still are good enough to make it to the postseason. Let's not forget they had some... Yeah, yeah. Speaking of bad divisions, you have some pretty easy wins there against the Browns, for example. So they uh, they got a couple of gift wins there. Anyway, that was the uh, that was that game. There's really, again not a lot of analysis needed. Joe Flacco terrible. Peyton Manning his usual fairly awesome self. Um, this was a game of defense, and the Colts just. They finally have a pretty good defense on that team, and that is a team that is Super Bowl-bound, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Next, you've got uh, on Sunday, the early game. This was the game that had controversy in it. The Minnesota Vikings taking on the Dallas Cowboys, and God, did I love this game. God, it was so great to see Tony Romo, who everybody seems to love in the media. I don't understand the love for Tony Romo. Overrated. He is. He is the most overrated quarterback. He's better than Joe Flacco, but not by much. Yeah, the Cowboys have a much better offense than the Ravens. That's the only reason that Tony Romo looks a little bit better than Joe Flacco, but he's not much better than Joe Flacco. Come on, give me a break with this Tony Romo. Tony Romo was completely shut down, completely. The Minnesota Vikings, who lead the league in sacks, what, they get six or eight sacks yesterday, something like that. It was tremendous, whatever. Eight sacks, and uh, it was a game where Tony Romo just couldn't get anything going offensively. Uh, It's a very simple game. You shut down the quarterback, you shut down the passing game, you make a team one-dimensional because then they can't run. You get a lead early, and you you shut down the passing game, and it shuts down what the Dallas Cowboys are able to do. And that's exactly what the Minnesota Vikings did yesterday. They got to Tony Romo. He was running for his life half the game. He couldn't really get much going. They did score first. They got a field goal early. But then after that, it was all Minnesota Vikings, 34 unanswered points. And um, Brett Favre, well... It's bittersweet for me. As you know, being a Minnesota Vikings fan my my entire life um, and watching the hated Green Bay Packers and the hated Brett Favre and now watching him lead my team down the field to, to touchdown after touchdown and victory after victory, it's it really is. It is bittersweet. But four touchdown passes on the day. The Minnesota Vikings tacked on a couple of field goals. It's 34 to three was the final, but it was the fourth touchdown of the day for Brett Favre. That was the controversial one. Up 27 to three late in the game. The Minnesota Vikings have the ball. Uh, The two minute warning comes and goes and it's fourth and three for the Vikings. Fourth and three and they decide to go for a pass play up 27 to three. And it's a successful pass to the end zone for Brett Favre once again. And uh, then it's 34-3. Dallas Cowboys linebacker Keith Brookings says to Brett, he says has some comments, he has some words for Brett Favre on the sideline. It's right there for everybody to see. You couldn't hear what he said, but he basically, I'm sure he said, gee, Brett, that wasn't very nice. 
Or more like, man, Brett, that's BS. Whatever, he had some uh, pretty harsh comments. And then after the game, his post-game comments, equally not so nice. He said, that was not very classy. The game was in hand. Why do you have to do that? Uh, that's, that's crap. And uh, the controversy then goes on from there. I listened to a lot of the post-game stuff, uh, a lot of calls on sports talk radio, some, some Cowboys fans that really did not have a problem with it. They didn't really care. They were mad at their own team, as they should be. Your defense didn't show up in this great Cinderella story that we kept hearing about how the Cowboys were, oh, this is the best team in the NFC. Really? Well, the best team in the NFC then got their ass kicked yesterday. And you know what? That's great. I'm glad. It couldn't happen to a more deserving franchise. But really, the controversy, there's a lot of people that say, oh, that's, you just don't do that. You don't, and, and NFL players, ah, you just don't do that. You don't, throw, you don't go for a pass when you're up by three scores with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. You don't do that. That's, that's not classy. It's not sportsmanlike. It's just wrong. You don't do that. It violates the unwritten rules. And yeah, there they are again, the old unwritten rules in sports. We ought to start writing some of these things down. We ought to have a rule book of unwritten rules. I mean, if they're unwritten rules, we need to start writing these things down so I'm clear about it and so everybody else is clear about it. Well, that was just Brett Favre. You know, he wanted to break his own record. That's what it was all about. You know, that's Brett Favre and his ego. Here's what I say about this, and I've always said this. I don't care because my team, has, my teams, the teams I root for, have been on the business end of this themselves many times. In this case, it was a team I root for that was, that was giving it to somebody else. But regardless, my theory has always been this. And even Troy Aikman, even the former Cowboys quarterback himself, which you would have expected him not to say this, but even he said this on the broadcast yesterday. If you have a problem with it, you should play better defense. You need to stop him. Stop him from doing it if you don't like it. Period. Even I have to give Troy Aikman props for saying that. I never thought I'd say this, but Troy Aikman was absolutely right. He said it. Joe Buck, on the other hand, was a little bit... Uh, you know, with his, of course, his righteous indignation. That Joe Buck, I hate Joe Buck. Oh, God. That's why most of the time I just put on the satellite and I was listening to uh, Paul Allen on the Vikings radio network with his call. Even Paul, Paul Allen was, <laughs> with the way he delivers a, 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 t a call is very, we just threw a touchdown of 27 to three in the fourth quarter. It's the fourth touchdown of the day for Brett Favre. And the Vikes take a 33-3 lead. I love Paul Allen, though. I do love him. <laughs> he's very passionate. He's one of those guys. He, uh, he's, his touchdown calls, he gets into it, man. He gets, he gets jacked up. Good for him. Good for him. But regardless, that was the controversy. If you don't like it, too bad. That's tough. If you don't like somebody scoring on you up by three scores late in the game, well, then you better play better defense. We have this controversy all the time. This, we talk about this all the time on this show. 
It's just like in baseball. A team is up seven runs in the eighth inning, and the team that's ahead steals a base. Oh, you just don't do that. That violates the unwritten rules. Or I saw this happen. Okay, I remember this. I won't forget this anytime soon. The Diamondbacks were in the midst of a four-game homestand against the New York Mets a couple of years ago, a few years ago. I think this is 2005 season. And one of the Mets players, and I, I, I can't remember who it was at the time. I think it was Matsui, Kaz Matsui. I think he was, I, I just want to say that's who it was, was on third base. The Mets were up 17 to 1 at the time, okay? They were up 17 to 1 on the Diamondbacks. And the guy on a fly ball to deep right field, he tags up and he comes in and scores. And people would say, oh, you don't do that. What is that all about? Tagging up and scoring at 17 to 1? The classy thing, just stand at third base. No! I don't care if it's my team or not. I don't care what it is. Right is right. And you know what? If, if, I was, if I was playing for the Mets and I'm standing on third base and some dude shags a fly ball in a right field, you know what? I'm going in to score. And I'm going to slide if I have to to take out the catcher. I don't care. It's Major League Baseball. In this case, it's the National Football League. It's the highest level of competition. And this is where you play for pay. Okay, you're getting paid millions of dollars to go out there and compete. This is the highest level of competition. And when you play a game in the NFL, you play for 60 minutes or you don't play. That's how I believe. That's how a lot of players believe. And that's what you do. I don't care if you're up 70 to nothing. Now, if you choose to take a knee and if you choose to run it out, then that's fine. You can. It's your right to play that way. You get to choose how you want to play. That's what makes football so great. If you want to be, is it is it kind of rubbing it in the face of your opponent to throw when it's fourth and three with two minutes to go and you're up by three touchdowns? Yeah, it is. But you can do it. And if the other team doesn't like it, they, here's the thing. Here's the best part about football. There's 11 guys on offense and there's 11 guys on defense. And if you don't like what the offense is doing as the defense, you get to try and stop them from doing it. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. You know, it's the same thing. Later that night, I have to tell you, or on Saturday night, I'm watching the Phoenix of the Suns, but it was a bad weekend for the Suns. The Suns are getting absolutely killed by, of all teams, the Charlotte Bobcats. And I defy anybody that's listening to this right now without looking it up to name five guys. Never, not five. Name two guys on the Charlotte Bobcats right now. You can't do it. Unless you're an NBA fantasy, in an NBA fantasy league, or maybe you live in Charlotte. Maybe you're a Bobcats fan, coach, or player. That's about the only way you could name more than two guys on the Charlotte Bobcats. There's just no way you can do it. I mean, I could, but then again, well, number one, I just saw the game the other night. And number two, you know, I'm, what else do I have to do? I, I'm into sports, okay? So, but really, the Bobcats are giving it to this. They're up by 39 points at one point in the game. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just sitting there laughing. Uh, Al McCoy is in disbelief. Tim Kempton can't believe it. The, the whole thing, it's, it's terrible. It's just a terrible game. Terrible. And... Uh, the Bobcats are out there still shooting three-pointers. How dare they shoot three-pointers when you're up by 30? Man, 
Don't you know that the unwritten rules that you don't shoot at three when you're up by 30 in the third quarter, that's just showing up your opponent at that. That's just rubbing it in. Really? Um, you know, the Suns, they're out there. They can, they can stop. Now, nobody said that. Nobody in the broadcast actually said that. But I bet, I bet somebody, I bet somebody someplace was thinking that. I bet they were thinking, oh, well, we're up by 30 now. Come on. You don't do that. No, it's competition. You play to win the game. That's what you do. And it doesn't matter how, you know, in baseball, and I always say this, in baseball, if you're up seven runs and you're stealing bases, you know what you're doing? You're helping your team. In baseball, hell, who knows? Some You saw it earlier this year. The, the Cleveland Indians put up a 14 spot against the Yankees in an inning. In a game where 14 runs can get scored in an inning, if you're up seven runs and you steal a base, you're just adding, you're tacking on insurance runs. The way that Major League Baseball is today, now I know, being up 27 to 3 in the fourth quarter, chances are the Cowboys aren't coming back. It was pretty clear. But who cares? God, I mean, when did we become such a wussified, pansified society? That we sit here and we actually we actually say, well, you know, you're you're far enough ahead. Well, I guess I guess that is pretty analogous to our society, though. Well, you've got enough money now, you've made enough money, you don't need any more. We're gonna just take it. We're gonna tax it. You've made enough of a bonus this year. Once you have enough money, we're just gonna take the rest. You've made too much. You're ahead by too much. Don't play anymore. That's what we do. That's what our society is. It's a you've got enough, all right, you've made your point, society. I mean, I hate to be all grandiose about it. I mean, I've been thinking about this all morning. I wanted to even go further than that and, and, and take the analogy further, but I, I won't. I won't continue this rant any further than that. The point of the rant is there's never too big a margin of victory, and if another team doesn't like it, too bad, play better. Speaking of play better, then you move on to the last game of the weekend, which was the only competitive game. It was the New York Jets taking on the San Diego Chargers, and I nailed this one. By the way, I nailed the Vikings game, too. I said the, I said the Vikings would win by at least three touchdowns, and they did. They won by, well, more than four touchdowns, actually. The only competitive game, the Jets and Chargers, that was a great game. That was a phenomenal game. Well, it was a sloppy, messy game, but in terms of defense, it was a very good game. Uh, Phillip Rivers couldn't get anything going. We knew Mark Sanchez. He was pretty awful. Quarterback play in that game was nothing to, uh, well, it certainly was. <laughs> Joe Namath wasn't going to go out there and congratulate either one of them after the game. Though he may want to kiss their wives. Regardless, it was a, a pretty good performance, a pretty competitive performance, and uh, unless you're a kicker. Mm, it's not a good game for kickers. And the talk today is fire the kicker or fire, uh, fire Norv Turner. Or uh, that's the talk today. Or man, Philip Rivers was just not effective. This was a bad performance. And this is once again, the Chargers just choked in the playoffs. You know, how about this? How about we actually give credit to the Jets defense, which was awesome yesterday. They played a great game. Yeah, we could sit here and say, oh, the offenses were ineffective. But really, the Jets' defense was everything is advertised. It was great yesterday. 
And yeah, um, not a good gay, not a good day for a kicker. Listen, a 57-yard field goal, if you're going to hold that against the guy, then that's too bad. If you're going to hold that against him, 57 yards, that's not a chip shot. Um, unless uh, Dempsey could criticize that. Who, who was the other guy? Was Joe Nedney uh, kicked a longer? A few guys have kicked longer than 57. Dempsey had a 63. Somebody else for the Broncos. And now just, I really just remembered it and I, I forgot it. Jason Elam, I think, wasn't it? Kicked a uh, 63-yard field goal. And there's been one, uh, there's been a couple of 58-yard field goals. But other than that, you know, 57 yards, you're not going to criticize somebody for missing that. But yes, uh, under 40 yards, um, then yes, you can criticize that. Not a great day for, for the kicking. On either side, really, it was not a, not a good day for special teams play yesterday. Field conditions were talked about. It was a little bit wet in San Diego. Some rain started really coming down later on in that game, especially. But overall, this was what you expected it to be. A, a, a two contrasting styles of play. You had the what was advertised as the highly explosive offense of the San Diego Chargers against a great defense. And then the Jets, they, they had like their little wildcat offense that they would run from time to time. Again, um... I, I like the Jets in this game, be, and the reason I like the Jets in this game and that I took the Jets, and that, that's why I went 3-1 and one on my picks this weekend, the reason I took the Jets was because what's the old adage? Defense wins championships. And the Jets really statistically have the best defense of any team remaining in the playoffs, and that's why I really like the Jets in this one. And I have to tell you, this sets up our matchups for next week. And and I, while I, I really think the Colts will win, while I really have to believe in Peyton Manning, the stellar offense of, of the Indianapolis Colts and their defense, which has certainly proven to be a lot better than it has been in years past, I have to tell you that I would not be, I would not be shocked if the Jets wound up beating the Colts. And how ironic it would be for the Jets, who was the team, they were the team that the Indianapolis Colts wound up laying down for earlier this season. They pulled their guys out. They said, yeah, you know, we're 14-0. Screw history. We're taking our guys out. And that's their right, by the way. And I know people criticized them vehemently. I was not one of them. I said it would have been nice had they gone for it and had they gone for history, but it's their right. They've, they're 14-0. They have the right to take their players out of the game. They have the right to play the game how they want to. I know everybody wanted, we need rules. We need the, the commissioner to step in. This is fixing games. This is just wrong. No, they're 14-0. They've earned the right to rest their guys because you know what would happen if Peyton Manning went out there and got hit, broke his leg, those same people that said, oh, you're cheating history, they'd say, why the hell were the Colts playing Peyton Manning 14-0 in a game where they were leading? Why were they doing that? That's just stupid. You can't win with some people. That's the problem. Well, in this particular instance, it just would be fitting. It would be ironic if the Jets were somehow able to beat the Colts and go to the Super Bowl. It seemed that the that the Colts were more interested in making sure the Jets got in the playoffs. And uh, now it would be strange if the Jets went in there and said, yeah, well, when we play you for real, we're still going to beat you. So I would find that to be very interesting. And then, of course, this also sets up the other matchup in the NFC. 
Vikings, Saints. The overrated Saints against the Minnesota Vikings and Brett Favre. And could Brett Favre go back to New Orleans, a place where he won uh, his, I guess that's where he won his first Super Bowl, and go down there and lead the Minnesota Vikings to territory they have not been in over 25 years, almost 30 years, back to the Super Bowl for their fifth Super Bowl appearance. And the answer is, hell yeah, that's what's going to happen. The Vikings are going to go down there and they're going to dismantle the Saints and the overrated Saints that offense. Look, Reggie Bush had a great game against the Cardinals, but it's the Cardinals defense who gave up 45 points to the Packers. They gave up 45 points to the Saints. They allowed 90 points in two playoff games. It's never been done before. It's one thing when you're playing a pushover defense with three guys that are unable to play, you know, two guys that get injured, another guy that's playing with one arm. That's one thing. When you're playing against a defense with a pulse like the Vikings have, which is more than a defense with a pulse, it's actually a good defense. Let's see what happens. We saw what happened when the Dallas Cowboys went in there and just dismantled the Saints in week 14. You saw what happened. And back then, the Saints were still playing for something. Yeah, they were 13-0, but they were playing for something and the Cowboys just took them apart. They had a plan. They got to Drew Brees early. They made it so he had to make uh, hurried passes. He spent some of the game on his ass. So this is going to be an interesting matchup, and I think the Minnesota Vikings come out victorious here. The Colts-Jets game, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be, I think that's your competitive game for next week. I think that's a game, again, either team that wins that one wouldn't necessarily be surprising. I would have to give the slight edge to the Colts, but I don't count the Jets out of this. I know a lot of people, I don't know what the early line is in Vegas. I have to go look this up, but I'm going to guess that that the Colts, they've got to be at least four or five point favorite easily. So I'm pretty sure that they're going to be the, the odds on favorite to win this. But, but I don't think the Jets are, are realistically, I think they could win this game. I'm not ready to make a pick on this game yet. I'm really not. I'm I'm leaning with the Colts, but I'm not ready to go that far and commit to them yet. I'm uh, I'm not quite ready to go there. I'm still maybe going to ride this Jets bandwagon for one more game. Then if they go to the Super Bowl and play the Vikings, well, I'm off the Jets bandwagon then. You have crap Mark Sanchez against Brett Favre in the Super Bowl. No thanks. I, I would take Brett Favre any day there. But I know a lot of people. And that's the other thing. I know that a lot of the controversy that was generated in this game where Brett Favre throws with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, a lot of it's because it's Brett Favre. Had Tavares Jackson done the same thing, I don't think there would have been any criticism whatsoever. It's because it was Brett Favre. And there's a lot of people that hold animosity to Brett Favre because he retired, that he came back, and he hemmed and hawed, that he didn't come back till training camp. And there's all the, all the drama that comes along with being... Uh, Brett Favre. And I know the media likes the guy, but there's a lot of people, a lot of fans that hold animosity toward Brett Favre, including Packer fans. <clears throat> now, I think for any Packer fan to hold animosity to Brett Favre is stupid. I can understand uh, Packer fans should really hold animosity with their organization more than they should Brett Favre. And I know people say, well, it was the smart move. Brett Favre was done. 
Aaron Rodgers is the future. That's true. Um, what time's the Packer game next weekend? Oh, wait. No. I. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we got to take a break already. Already. It's been 39 minutes into this segment. We've we got to take a break already. Man, I, I just realized there's still so much I haven't even gotten to yet. I still have to talk about it. I still have to do the pop chart from last week. I still have that sitting right here. This is what happens if I don't do podcasts every day. The stuff piles up. Like, there'll be days where I'll sit here and I'll go, eh, there's really not a whole lot to talk about. Could I fill an hour of podcast or even 45 minutes of podcast? I'm like, I don't know. But then if you let it build up, I could conceivably still be here for another hour doing show stuff. So we got to do the pop chart. I've got to talk about the Massachusetts Senate race for Ted Kennedy's old seat. You've got uh, Martha Coakley versus Scott Brown there. And Scott Brown looks like he just might win it in what would be described as quite an upset, especially in Massachusetts. For a Republican to get Republican to win anything in Massachusetts, it's almost it's almost unfathomable. But that's sort of the direction the country is headed in. Think about this. A Republican getting Ted Kennedy's old seat in Massachusetts? That just doesn't even seem plausible. But that just tells you Democrats are on high alert right now. They're at an elevated risk, clearly. Oh, and, and we've got... Oh, there's another stupid comment I have to get to. Speaking of that election, Ed Schultz, the bloviated talk show host himself, the guy that's like the liberal Rush Limbaugh, he even talks like Rush Limbaugh, kind of. I have to play a truly outrageous comment from him. And there's... There's the Michael Graff Show stupid news file, but I might just have to put that off till tomorrow. Unless I want to do a five-hour podcast. All right. It's Michael Graff in exile. We'll be back. segment and probably a long one here on uh, Michael Graff in exile for a Monday, January 18th, 2010. Apropos because it's time for some pretty stupid people. We got to get into this. Some amazingly stupid comments have been made during the last week and uh, well, what I'm declaring a dumbass Monday. We've got Quite a few comments to get into. I guess the first place I'm going to start, and it's always good to go after the religious folks first. Um, Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson has had a long history of making it into the Michael Graff Show stupid news file and some of the dumbest quotes ever. Of course, it was Pat Robertson who blamed... 9-11 on the United States saying that we got what we deserve because of course we promote the homosexual lifestyle. This is God's way of punishing us for among other things. 
uh, allowing homosexuals. I, I guess what we should be doing is um, uh, doing what some of those folks in Texas and Montana did, drag them behind cars or something. I guess we should be sending out the lynch mob for homosexuals. It's because that we promote and allow the gay lifestyle that we got attacked for 9-11. Then, Pat Robertson, you might remember, um, there was, I can't remember when this was, 2005-ish, 2006, when there was a major hurricane headed for the east coast of the United States. And I, I honestly, I can't remember which hurricane it was. But anyway, it was a Category 5 at the time. And it looked somewhat certain that it would hit the United States, at least the East Coast of the United States, somewhere, whether it was Miami, whether it was, you know, the South Carolina coast, maybe all the way up uh, to New York, who knows? But the East Coast was on high alert. Anyway, the he prayed for the hurricane to turn, okay? He prayed for it to turn, and it did. A pretty strong trough of low pressure got a hold of the hurricane, steered it off to the north, and for the most part, it really didn't affect the United States at all, and it weakened substantially. And he took credit for it, saying that it was because of his prayer that the hurricane steered away from the United States. Um, I, I'm sure it had nothing to do with the trough of low pressure that happened to come by. He's going to say, well, well it, was, it was God, you know, it was God that took the trough of low pressure, and uh, it's God that controls the atmosphere of the Earth and everything else, so... Then why did he create the hurricane in the first place? Like if it was just going to create it just to turn it away from the United States. Well, you know, it was a warning sign. Had it hit the U.S., it would have been, well, it's because we allow gays. Or whatever it is that Pat Robertson, whatever that week's logic. After Hurricane Katrina, you might remember, Pat Robertson said that uh, once again, once again, it was uh, it was the United States. You know, it was God punishing us. I can't remember what. I, I know it was God punishing us, uh, having to do with uh, gays or something. Again, just our our um, our arrogance, I guess, our ignorance is what um, brought on Hurricane Katrina. I do remember he was uh, all over that one. But of course, always trying to outdo his own stupidity. Pat Robertson was out last week after the earthquake in Haiti that uh, devastated the capital city, Port-au-Prince, after you, you've seen potentially 200,000 people are dead. We know for a fact that tens of thousands are dead. We know that they've, have, they've been digging mass graves to peep the bodies into round the clock. You've got people, you've got literally over a million people that are homeless now. You have the UN building there collapsed. All government buildings, the tax offices, all of them have collapsed. Many of those people are dead. Haiti is ostensibly running without a government right now. So it's, it's a situation that is very dire. And Pat Robertson, well, again, not to be outdone, Pat Robertson has come out and he's got some statements. He's got a, a whole rationale behind it. He says that it's because the Haitians have made a deal with the devil that has brought about the devastation in Haiti. This is somehow, this is his convoluted logic, and here it is. Here's just a little bit of Pat Robertson from last week. What an idiot. Pat, this is a, this is a, a calamity of uh, cataclysmic proportion. By the way, what you're hearing here, this is, uh, the first guy you're hearing the voice is Bill Horan, okay? He is the, um, 
he's part of the 700 Club. He's part of the, uh, the whatever they call it, the uh, CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. And he's asking Pat about the about the um, the earthquake in Haiti. And then there's a woman that's on this like anchor desk with Pat also. And she's just sort of a yes woman for him. She's like, oh, yes, 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 Pat. Oh, yeah. Whatever you say, Pat. So here's, so I just thought I'd give it some context. Anyway, here's the clip. I'm sure it's the worst thing that's happened uh, since the tsunami. And um, it, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a mess, Pat. Well, if all those buildings are down, I understand more are falling than they're standing. Uh, it may be a, a blessing in disguise. There might be a massive rebuilding of that country. Is that possible? Yeah, it might, might be a blessing. In, he always sounds like he's got to push out a, a turd. Also, might be a blessing in disguise. Uh, I understand more buildings are falling than they're standing, and this could be a big chance for rebuilding. That's a blessing, especially if you're a contract worker, you know, something like that. Uh, well, I don't know. I would think that uh, that would be uh, a pretty optimistic uh, attitude. Christy, something happened a long time ago in Haiti, <laughs> and uh, people might not want to talk about it. They were under the heel of the French, uh, you know, Napoleon III and whatever. And they got together and swore a pact to the devil. They said, we will serve you if you'll get us free from the French. Hmm. It's a true story. <laughs> it's a true story. They actually talked to the invisible man that lives underground, that they talked to this devil, this Satan, Lucifer. You might know him as Mephistopheles, Asmodeus, whatever. He, he rules the nine hells. And he, he made a deal with them to get them free of Napoleon because God knows the French were very hard to beat down. Um, it was very tough to get rid of the French. Just ask the Mexicans who couldn't even, <laughs> had a hard time beating 200 people at, at, a, at a small dump in San Antonio. They, they needed 8,000 troops to do that. So you know um, the Mexicans are very tough and they had a hard time beating down the French. So anyway, the French... I, mean, I hate to laugh at this, but I mean, it's so, it's so stupid. The logic that he uses here is so incredibly convoluted and it's so incredibly, well, here, there's just more of it. Anyway, true story, he says. They made a pact with the devil to get the French out of Haiti. And so the devil said, okay, it's a deal. And uh, they kicked the French out. You know, the Haitians revolted and got themselves free. But ever since, they have been cursed by, by one thing after the other, desperately poor. That island of Hispanola is one island. Mm -hmm. It's cut down the middle. On the one side is Haiti. On the other side is the Dominican yeah. Republic. Yeah. Dominican Republic is, is prosperous, mm -hmm. healthy, full of... Oh, it's... I got to tell you, there's nothing better than living in the Dominican Republic. What a prosperous nation they are. Man, I mean, just think of all the high-rise apartment buildings they have there. And it's, man, the Dominican, it's just beautiful there. There's no poverty. But then on the other side, it's Haiti. Oh, wait, no. The Dominican Republic is only a little bit better off than Haiti. Resorts, et cetera. Haiti is in desperate poverty. Same islands. Uh, they need to have, and we need to pray for them, a great turning to God. And out of this tragedy, I'm optimistic something good may come. I love the woman that's sitting there with Pat, the woman that's, mm-hmm. 
and I got a, they made a deal with the devil. Uh, Christy, they made a deal. Did you, did you see this? Uh, they made a deal with the devil. This is a true story. And Lucifer said to them, Well, I'll get you out of there. But remember, if I get you out, then you will be stuck on the island of Haiti forever. <laughs> but I'll get rid of the French for you. Because clearly, you need the devil's help. It couldn't have anything to do with the fact that maybe, you know, they outnumbered the French and that, well, the French historically haven't, haven't since about that time, since about the mid 19th century, the French haven't fared too well in battle. It couldn't have anything to do with that. Clearly they made a deal with the devil. That's, that's a deal they probably had buyer's remorse about. Well, the good news is you got rid of the French. The bad news is now you get to live with Haiti. If I were the Haitians, I would have been like, hey, you know what? You can have this island. It gets hit by hurricanes and earthquakes. It's, um, it's basically a piece of crap. It doesn't really have any natural resources worth exporting, except for, you know, sand and some trees. Uh, but otherwise, it's, um, <clears throat> it's pretty much a dump, but you guys get to keep it. I love this. That, that, that is a great clip. That is a phenomenal clip. Here, here, once again. Something happened a long time ago in Haiti, and uh, people might not want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were under the heel of the French. Uh, Probably the high heel, if I know the French. You know, Napoleon uh, Third or uh, whatever. Uh, and they got together and swore a pact to the devil. They said, we will serve you if you'll get us free from the French. Mm. True story. <laughs> they got together and swore a pact with the devil. Hey, what's happening, devil? Hey, Saint Lucifer, come over here. We got to get rid of these French, man. We got to get them over this island, dude. Huh. Man, if we could just get rid of you. If we could just get rid of the French, imagine all the weed we could smoke here. We could set up some resorts. We could get the, the people from the United States to come down here and party in Haiti and the island of Española. We could get them to go to the Dominican Republic. We could get all down here, but we have to get rid of the French first, man. These guys, they're so hard to beat. How do we ever get rid of them? Well, I think we're going to have to make a deal with El Diablo. Yeah, let's make a deal with El Diablo. El Diablo. Clearly, that's, I could see it going down just about like that. <laughs> this is so, it is so ludicrous. It is so absurd. I can't even imagine that something like that came out of Pat Robertson's mouth. And of course, it's a true story, but it's a true story that only Pat Robertson knows. It's not in any history books. It's not in any Bible. It's not in any religious documents whatsoever. But luckily, thank God we have Pat Robertson who knows exactly what happened historian Pat Robertson was there. Well, he is old enough. He probably was there when the French were kicked off of the uh, island of Hispaniola. I'm sorry, Hispanola, as he says. All right. All right, so that's Pat Robertson and his stupid comments. And we move from one set of stupid comments to another. Now, I want to make sure that I get this correct because a lot of people have misquoted this, and there's only part of this that I kind of disagree with. Rush Limbaugh made a statement last week, uh, among other things. He had a call that came in and asked, um, noted that on the White House website, you could donate to the Haitian relief effort directly through the White House website. And he said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you should do that because if you donate there, who knows, you could be put on a mailing list uh, for the Barack Obama administration. And who knows, maybe you could, I don't know. 
But he said, we are, we've already given money to, the, to Haiti. It's called the United States Income Tax. You know, that's partially accurate. But I think the way that his comments were taken was that don't give money to Haiti because, um, you know, we've already given money to them. So screw it. That's not really what he said, but he's being accused of saying that. The only thing that he really said here that I, I think was kind of objectionable, and I'm, and I'm only going to say kind of objectionable, was he said that this is clearly a way for Barack Obama to curry favor with Hispanic voters, with uh, people of both light and dark skin, um, you know, and, and really, I, I the only reason I partially disagree with it is because, look, I think it is possible for somebody to do good for other people without it being entirely politically motivated. However, however, there's always a game that's being played. And it doesn't matter what party is in power, who's in the White House, what government is doing it. There's always some type of political aspiration or political um, power or something to be gained out of it. There's always a game being played, whether it's by the United States, whether it's by any country that's giving uh, relief efforts. And Hugo Chavez and all these other people are sort of pointing at the United States and saying that they're going in there to take over. That's not what's going on here. We don't care about taking over Haiti. That's, that's an equally stupid comment. But there is something to be gained out of doing it. It's all a game. It's all a game. On the other hand, though, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to go and help out the United uh, to, to help out uh, Haiti. It's the it's not we don't have to do it because we're the richest country economically. Um, quite frankly, I don't even know if we really are anymore because the hundred million dollars that Barack Obama has pledged to give to Haiti, who knows where that's even going to come from? We're just going to have to print it. We're going to just make it or we're going to borrow it from somebody. But it's it's not money that we really have to be spending, but it's money that we're going to be giving them. And the grand scheme of things, a hundred million dollars uh, considering how much money we're spending in Afghanistan and Iraq and everywhere else, $100 million really isn't that much. It's not that big of a commitment. It is, again, it is, I, I would say it's partially gamesmanship and it's partially the United States doing the right thing. I would say it's that no matter what president did it. President Bush would have done the same thing, although there's already being, uh, <laughs> there's parallels being drawn between this response and our response to Katrina and how it was done poorly. You know what's amazing about that, by the way, is that we still, a lot of the relief that we, that the government has been setting up to send to Haiti still hasn't gotten there, and it's been a week now. We still haven't gotten relief uh, to Haiti as of yet. So the response, if you, if you call Katrina a bad response, well, the, the bad response has been done here also by the United States. The only difference is we're not obligated to help uh, Haiti like we are to help New Orleans or a city within our own homeland. That's sort of the key difference there. Now, some of uh, Barack Obama's other comments, I, or uh, Barack Obama, some of uh, Rush Limbaugh's other comments about this situation I did agree with. And uh, he said, if you send money to the White House or if you directly send money to the Haitian government, just like with any other relief effort, if you send money to a government... 
You don't know that all that money is going to the people. And that's true. You don't know. How are you supposed to know? It's not like, listen, the United States has given money to, to the Haitian government before, and it's just disappeared. We've sent aid over to countries in Africa, and it's just disappeared. So the United States government sending money places, it is true that some of these governments are very corrupt and they take the money for themselves. It happens. All of the money that the United States has given to African nations over the years, all of the money, and by and large, the United States is the biggest contributor of foreign aid to just about any nation. With all of that foreign aid having been given, have those nations advanced themselves? And by and large, the answer is no. The governments of those nations, they have absorbed a lot of that money. They have taken it for themselves. And the people are the ones that are left in destitute. There is a reason that African nations, by and large, have not grown. I don't care if it's Burkini Faso or Morocco or a lot, a lot of these countries. Morocco is actually one of the better off nations in Africa. You've got a lot of those Nigeria, uh, Niger, uh, Chad, Ethiopia, a lot of those nations, they're in terrible condition. And the, and it actually is only getting worse. You've got warring factions. You've got people that, there's not a lot of technology over there. Do you, Africa, do you think a lot of those people have television or radio? No, a lot of them are, are still living in, in shacks, mud huts. And it's a problem. It's, and there's disease that is spreading rampant over there. And all of the foreign aid and all of the help that we have tried to provide over there, it's done nothing um, but for the most part. I don't want to broad brush and say it's done absolutely nothing. But for the most part, it really hasn't helped. And we've given untold billions of dollars in foreign aid throughout the years. And it really hasn't done much because it's wasted. So I think Rush Limbaugh's comments in part were accurate, but I think they were, number one, phrased improperly. Number two, I think some of the things he said were just patently absurd. And, um, but some of the things you have to, you do have to analyze just because Rush Limbaugh says it doesn't always make it wrong. But that's the problem that we have is that, you know, some people have this uh, tag about them that everything they say is completely wrong 100% of the time, regardless. And uh, it does bother me when I agree with Rush Limbaugh on any level, just because he, he often is such a hypocrite and he often is um, presents himself in such a way that it makes it hard for you to want to agree with him, even if you do, even if he does say something right. So, all right. So that was some stupid commentary on Haiti. And um, then we move on to this. And this is a, uh, a big deal. You've got a huge election coming up for Ted Kennedy's old seat in Massachusetts. His Senate seat is up for grabs. You've got Martha Coakley against Scott Brown, the Republican. Now, for a Republican to even have a chance at winning anything in Massachusetts is pretty hard to believe. And it does go to show you the, the nature of where we're at in this country right now when Republicans are surging in a state like Massachusetts to the tune of it, the latest poll shows that Scott Brown will win this election 52 to 46 percent. He has a six-point lead in the latest poll that's been issued in the state of Massachusetts over uh, Martha Coakley. And that is unbelievable that a Democrat could potentially lose that seat. And it's so incredible to believe that Barack Obama came up there yesterday. They held a rally for Martha. Uh, 
And they, uh, Barack Obama just said that, um, uh, you know, you need to turn out in masses. We need to do the right thing. What was interesting about his comments was that the one issue that he went up there to campaign, because they want to make sure that they keep that, that, that majority and they want to make sure they keep that super majority going in the Senate. They want to do so, so much. And the reason they want to do it is to get the healthcare initiative passed. But how interesting was it that Barack Obama went up to campaign for Martha Coakley yesterday and yet he never once brought up the issue that he was going to campaign for her about. In other words, they need Martha Coakley in the Senate so that they can ensure that the health care bill gets passed without opposition, okay? And yet, Barack Obama never brought up the health care bill issue once. And you know why he didn't bring it up? Because it is such a polarizing event and it is such an unpopular uh, bill and it's such an unpopular sentiment among the voters right now that by bringing it up, you're, you're doing nothing more than polarizing and you're, you're really, you're driving the base away by mentioning the health care bill. And that's where we're at right now. And uh, I just found that very interesting. Meanwhile, this Scott Brown continues to surge. He's gaining popularity really out of nowhere. It is tremendous what's going on with this guy. So Scott Brown, he has a very legitimate chance to win. Uh, Patrick Kennedy, a Democrat from Long Island, the Democratic representative from Long Island, he, he was up there. He was campaigning for Martha Coakley. Unfortunately, he got her name wrong. Uh, he kept calling her Marsha. I'm here to support Marsha. <laughs> well, whatever. You know, you're a Kennedy. You Maybe you were drunk or maybe you just didn't know what you were saying at the time. Uh, <laughs> called her Marsha. There's some solidarity right there. That is, uh, that is outstanding. That really is. All right. Well, uh, so that's going to be a big thing that we're monitoring tomorrow. And you know, the Democrats want that seat in the worst way. They really do. They want it so badly that even one of their own, one of their own talk shows, the, the Democratic equivalent, I hate to call him the equivalent to Rush Limbaugh on the Democratic side because Rush Limbaugh has an audience of what, 20 million and this guy, this talk show host, has an audience of, let's see, I don't know, a million, maybe? This guy, Ed Schultz, we've talked about him on the show before. He does kind of sound like Rush Limbaugh. He even sort of, in, in an odd way, sort of looks like Rush Limbaugh. He's kind of a big, fat guy, and he has sort of that same delivery that Rush has. His voice is a little bit different, but he kind of sounds a little bit like Rush, but he's a Democrat. He's, he's, uh, I guess he, he claims to be independent, but that's kind of what a lot of these Democrats do. They claim to be independent. They're not. Um, anyway, he's a big time, uh, Democrat and you know what he advocated? He actually said that people should cheat in order to make sure that Martha Coakley wins. Actually, he advocated to make sure that we cheat, to make sure that the Republicans, or as he called them, those bastards lose. And if you think I'm taking his comment out of context, Here's exactly what Ed Schultz said on his show, advocating that people cheat if they can. Here's what he said. This is from Ed Schultz's show the other day. I, I, I tell you what, if I, if I lived in Massachusetts, I'd try to vote 10 times. I don't know if they'd let me or not, but I'd try to. Yeah, that's right. I'd cheat to keep these bastards out. I would. Because that's exactly what they are. 
That's, I'd, I'd cheat to keep these bastards out because that's exactly what they're... Ladies and gentlemen, he does. He kind of sounds a little bit like Rush, but he says he would vote 10 times. If, I don't know if they'd let me. Well, no, they wouldn't let you because it's a violation of federal law, douche. You know what's really fascinating about that clip, though, is that Ed Schultz was one of the first guys to jump all over the fraudulent voting that allegedly took place in Ohio back in 2004 to get Bush put back in office. He was all over the the disenfranchised voters and, and the scandal and conspiracy theory, this and that, and uh, all this crap. He was all over that, okay? The voter machines, voting fraud. And yet here he is advocating cheating, He's actually gone on the air on a nationally syndicated show, albeit heard by very few, on a nationally syndicated radio show, and he advocated that we go out and cheat. That Democrats go out and make... I'd vote, if they'd let me, I'd vote 10 times. That's right, I'm saying that we need to cheat to keep those bastards out because that's exactly what they are. That's what he said. He actually encouraged people to violate federal law in order to ensure that the Democrats win. Which is ironic because it's exactly what he accused the Republicans of doing back in 2004. Very interesting, isn't it? That's very interesting. So it's just a slew of dumbass comments all over the place from these guys. I mean, I can't even believe he's... Hold on, I gotta, I gotta hear that one more time. Forgive me, but I, I have to play this one more time. This is, again, this is from the Ed Schultz show. What was this on Friday, I think? He made these comments. This was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, I tell you what, if I, if I lived in Massachusetts, I'd try to vote ten times. I don't know if they'd let me or not, but I'd try to. Yeah, that's right. I'd cheat to keep these bastards out. I would. Because that's exactly what they are. You know, it's one thing to have a disagreement. It's one thing to really dislike Republicans. And that's Ed Schultz. That's been his shtick for a long time. He, he hates Republicans and blah, blah. That's fine. But to actually go on and advocate the violation of federal law, I, I got to tell you, that, um, that, that really kind of shows you, that shows you where at least his mindset is. Now, I'm not going to say he represents all liberals. I'm not going to go to that level. I'm not going to sit here and say this is, this is what liberals are all about. But I do find it interesting that I have not heard one single liberal host blast this guy. I haven't heard it yet. I haven't seen any uh, negative comments. Now, again, this is a show that's basically heard by nobody. I think my podcast is heard by about as many people as listen to Ed Schultz. But still, I have not heard somebody come out and just absolutely lambast this guy. But you know for a fact that if Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or Glenn Beck or anybody that's conservative or, or semi-conservative or anybody that's uh, over there, if they said something like that, you know what would happen. Oh, there would be an investigation. They'd want to get the feds involved. Oh, yep, you're violating federal election law. Look at what you're up to. You're advocating people break the law. But when Ed Schultz does it, ah, you know, it's okay. It's just good-spirited talk radio. It's just debate. That's all. That's okay. You can go ahead and advocate that people break the law. That's fine. Okay. As long as I see where we're at. Just some of the comments going on from uh, the last, uh, let's see, from, from the last week or so. 
We got some stupid comments about Haiti. We got stupid comments about this election coming up tomorrow. We're going to give you, um, we're going to keep you updated on that and see how everything plays out there. But for me, uh, for, I, I just, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around the idea of a Republican winning anything in the state of Massachusetts. I mean, Liz, I know they've had Republican governors. I know they've had Republicans win in individual in, you know, state elections, you know, state house and state Senate and, They've had Republican representatives. I, I understand this. I get it. I know. But I'm just saying that it just seems very unusual in the liberal hub of America, one of the liberal hubs of America, for the idea of a conservative guy. What is, I don't, I honestly, I don't know much about Scott Brown. I will profess my ignorance here. And tell you that I don't really know a lot about Scott Brown. It's, I don't know how conservative the guy is, but apparently he has caused quite a stir in the state of Massachusetts. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, are getting behind this guy. Maybe it's because Martha Coakley is, um, well, from what I've understood, there are de some Democrats that don't like her, that he, she's very condescending, and she's exactly what the Democrats don't want to see in the Senate. So there are Democrats that are against her. This isn't just people on the right, but um, according to a poll, let's see, there's a poll here that um, independents, among independents, uh, 64 to 32% are in favor of her, I guess. But 32% of independents, I don't know, that's, that's a halfway decent margin. You all know, it was, I mean, Republicans are going to jump all over this guy and they're going to be in support of him. But even among some Democrats, there's, there's some dissension among Democrats as well. This is, this just seems unfathomable to me, but here we are. All right, from that, we move on to something a little bit more frivolous. This is something that I didn't get to address last week, but we do need to get into it. What the hell, right? We're only 90 minutes into the show. Let's, uh, let's, let's do it. It's time for a review of the pop chart. Last week's pop chart, I didn't get to it on Thursday. So we might as well do it now. These are the top 10 songs in the world of CHR pop. That would be contemporary hit radio. Uh, you best know it as the top 40 format. These are the... Um, 10 most played songs on radio stations across the country, on top 40 radio stations across the country. I want to make sure I make that distinction. And um, we, we take a look at this every week. These are what, this is what the kids are listening to. So to get this thing started, let me uh, go to it. Number 10 this week on the pop chart is something by... Let's see here. This would be Boys Like Girls featuring Taylor Swift. And this is Two is Better Than One. Maybe it's true that I can't live without you. Maybe two is better than one. But there's so much time. Thank 
wussification of the United States and our music continues unabated. There we go. Taylor Swift is okay, but I mean, this, at least there's real instruments in this, which is more than I can say for, I think, the rest of the pop chart. But still, I'm, I'm not very impressed. That's the number 10 song in the country, though. And it's rise with a hurry. Number nine, Britney Spears is still holding on with three. Horrible. Sounds like circus. Circus. This is just god awful. You know, what's weird is I've. Maybe it's just the crowd that I hang with, the people that talk. I've never heard somebody come up to me and go, man, Britney Spears, that, that latest song she's got, it's so good. Circus. Her voice is so processed, she really does sound like a cyborg. Have you ever heard Britney Spears perform a song live? It's Most of the time, it's just a track that plays, but if you ever actually hear her sing live it's really horrendous all right now coming up number eight is jay sean featuring sean paul and lil john it's one of those songs where they all say their names so you know exactly who's in it anyway it's a collaboration it's one of those uh, i guess too many cooks spoil the broth in this <laughs> but here's uh do you remember it number eight hey hey sean paul does his throat hurt from doing that? Oh, Ow. Ow, my throat hurts. This is so horrible. But not as bad as Jason Derulo at number seven with What You Say. This is another guy that says his name in the song here. And it's another song that has like way too much processing on the voice, way too much pitch wheel. Here we go. I 
swear, it must it must take them at least 15 minutes to compose these songs. So tell me, girl. God. I'm sure there are people that like this. There have to be. I've just never met them. Speaking of people I've never met that like a song, I, I still don't know anybody that likes this, but there's got to be somebody. At number six, it's uh, it's the song that made Jeff throw up and his heterosexually, heterosexuality ran out of the room screaming. If 10 million fireflies It's uh, Owl City Fireflies Cause they fill the open air And leave teardrops everywhere You'd think me rude But I would just stand and stare Stare I'd like to make myself believe Stare By doing that, my, my penis just sought refuge in my large intestine. <laughs> and here it is, the gayest lyric in song history. Here it is right now. Because I get a thousand hugs from 10,000 lightning bugs. Because they tried to teach me how to dance. A fox trot above my head. A sock hop beneath my bed. A disco ball is just hanging by a thread. I talked about it last week, the story with this dude. This guy is, I think his name is Adam Young, and he composed these songs in his mom's basement. He was an insomniac, and so a lot of his songs are about not being able to sleep and you know, a lot of just horrible stuff. Alright, next. Uh, Alright. Number five. The songs just get worse and worse as we move down the chart, too. It's it's horrible. Number five is Jay-Z, and this is Empire State of Mind. Here comes. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. That Brooklyn. Now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the narrow. But I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra. And since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, they love me everywhere. I used to cop an arm. I own part of the New Jersey Nets. They're three and thirty-six or whatever their record is. It suck, it suck, so do I. Who cares? Cruising down A Street, off white Lexus, driving the slow, but BK is from Texas. Me and my it's a song about New York, so I hate it even more, but it's just, it's horrible. And I my boys with me, say what up to Tata, still sipping my ties, sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five. I be spiked out, I could trip a referee, tell by my attitude that I most definitely from... Hey. Yeah. 
crap in the background. Yeah. Oh yeah, a Yankee game, Derek Jeter, uh. You should know I bleed blue, but I ain't a crypto. But I got a gang of walking with my... Uh, whatever, okay, enough, enough, enough. Just can't take it. Oh. All right, next, at uh, number four, David Guetta featuring Akon and Sexy Chick. Now, this song is also terrible. Uh, they're all bad. You just have to know, these are all the hip-hop slash R&B kind of... Every once in a while, a song with real instruments makes it in, but that's very rare. These are all just terrible. Here's, uh, let's just, this is about the part of the chart where I just get annoyed and I fast forward to the hook. Yeah, this is that song. Damn, you were sexy chick. Here it is. Damn, you's a sexy chick. You's a sexy chick. Damn, girl. Move that ass over here. I want to have another illegitimate child with you. Oh, sexy chick. You was, yeah. Damn. Wanna hit you like Chris Brown. Uh. All right, number three, um, speaking of the feminization of the country, this is just another example of that in hip-hop form. This is Ayaz and a song, Replay. Oh, yeah, this... Shawty's like a melody in my head that I can't keep out. Got me singing like, na-na-na-na, every day's like my iPod. Play, replay. Shawty's like a melody in my head that I can't keep out. Got me singing like... I came up to you wearing a dress Cause that's how I roll Who would have ever knew That we would ever be more than friends You didn't graduate from high school I got through eighth grade Like something of a poster Bad grandma filling up my songs. He's talking about guns and holsters. Yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, you're tough. Yeah, man, I gotta go record me a song. Hang on. Now, another phenomenon in music that I'm not understanding, but I guess is getting a lot of um, a lot of airplay and is getting a lot of hype is this chick, Kesha or Keisha. It's K-E. Actually, her name is K-E dollar sign H-A. I should point that out. But uh, this is apparently, this is a big tune. It's all the way up to number two. It's Keisha featuring Pitbull. This is... TikTok. Oh, yeah. 
This is one of those kind of white chicks that wants to sound kind of like a black chick. Everybody getting crunk. Whatever that even means. Everybody. Now I'm starting to figure out why it is that uh, 15-year-olds, when when they talk, you can't understand what they're saying. Uh, hey man, everybody getting crunk, man. Like, what does that even mean? Everybody. Crunk. Everybody getting crunk. Uh, boys try to touch my junk. Uh, somehow I doubt it, honey. All right, that's terrible. All right, that takes us up to the number one song in the country, and um, it's uh, the phenomenon that is Lady Gaga, and I... I, I, Lady Guy Guy, as we always call her around here, because we're pretty sure she has a penis. We're pretty sure she's a dude, but who knows? Lady Gaga, number one, with Bad Romance. The feedback I get is people love it when I when I sing to the Lady Gaga. See, the problem is all these songs, I do know almost all the words to them because, well, the number one, there's not a lot of words to them. And the ones that are, they repeat a lot. And almost everywhere you go, they're playing Lady Gaga someplace. At sport events, like if you go to baseball games. I'm watching one of the football games yesterday. And I'm hearing Lady Gaga play, and I'm like, this is football. Where's The Rock? Why are we playing Lady Gaga at a football, at a football game? It doesn't make any sense. While you're in Morrowind, why is she singing about a video game? Oh, yeah. See, I can sing along with these tunes. Like I said last week, we we both have the same genitalia, I'm pretty sure. Caught in a bad romance. Caught in a bad romance. Again, another song. It must have taken them at least 15 minutes. You know what's weird? This song is, I'm sure, if I sat down at my keyboard right now, I could probably play this song. Hang on a minute. You know what? I, I got to do this. Oh, she! I never noticed. She busted out with the French in here.
to. Okay. Where's my, I gotta go. I gotta somehow make this happen. This has inspired me. Hold on. All right, what I'm going to do here, I, I just got to prove how easy these songs are to compose. This has got to be just phenomenally easy. So if you'll excuse me, what I'm going to do, I'm going to demonstrate just how easy. But uh, people are making lots of money like this, so I just want to show you. Now, I have not really, I have not rehearsed this. I, I thought about doing this today, uh, but I have not really pre-rehearsed this bit. This is just something I wanted to do. So just to show you how easy this Lady Gaga tune is to reproduce, I just want to uh, very quickly, let's see, where is it at here? I just want to, I want to play it real quick so you, so you get it in your head once again. Where's it at? All right, here's the chorus, just so you can hear it. All right, here you go. So you got that. Now, I'm going to show you just how easy that is to repeat. That's got to be. I, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But all right, let's try this. All right, let me see if I can find this. This has got to be. All right. All right, I think the bass, the bass for that is like. I bet. All right, so here we go. isn't that difficult to uh, to do. So that just shows you the the basic composition of these songs and how incredibly easy that they really are as I get back, yeah, so I get back over here to my chair. Yes, a, uh, an excursion over to the keyboard where I didn't even really rehearse that. I didn't sit down and, and pre-plan any of that. That's just, um, I sort of got lucky and just found it. It's in the C scale, so it's really easy. But still, um, 
That just shows you how easy those songs are and how very basic they are. I can't imagine why people complain about music today. That's literally, it's like four chords, that song. Four chords. Wow. All right, well, that's, that's neat. All right, well, that's a look at the pop chart and uh, a, a tangent among tangents over to the uh, keyboard and whatnot. You know, this segment alone, I'm just looking here, this segment alone is almost, we're almost at the 55-minute mark in this segment. We're that quickly approaching an hour into this segment. That is, uh, this is going to be the longest podcast I have done to date and one of the longer shows I've done in a long time, quite honestly. Uh, I started doing this show at, uh, what, about 10-something in the morning. Here it is. Uh, I, I take breaks in between the segments. Sometimes I get up, I, I get something to eat or drink or sort of just recharge my batteries just a little bit. But um, here it is. It's, it's like 12 now. It's, it's after 12. It's actually almost 1 o'clock. That's unbelievable to think about. I've been doing, <laughs> it's like doing a full-fledged radio show, the commitment that I've done to this podcast today. All right. Well, anyway, um, we're going to hold off on this stupid news uh, file until, you know what? Let's just do it now. We might as well just cram everything into this show. You get the supersized jam-packed edition of this show. I haven't even talked about the late night fiasco uh, this week, the latest update on Conan and Leno and NBC and everything that's been going on over there. That is definitely something that we're going to hold off on until tomorrow. Because if I get into that now, um, I, I don't know if there's enough. I'll be doing a show until tomorrow. And that's, that's about what will happen. Okay. First, let me just get to this uh, because this is the more important thing here. This, this uh, stupid news. This is great. You talk about irony. A floor at a Weight Watchers clinic in Sweden collapsed on Wednesday. <laughs> the floor at a Weight Watchers, uh, it collapsed beneath uh, a group of about 20 participants in the diet program. This happened in Vaxjo, Sweden. In the south central part of Sweden, the Weight Watchers participants had gathered in the group uh, in the group's facilities to see how much weight they had lost. Well, apparently, not enough. As it turned out, the people's weight was not the only thing to fall. "Quote: We suddenly heard a huge thud. We almost thought it was an earthquake, and everything flew up in the air. The floor collapsed in one corner of the room and uh, along the walls." That's according to one of the participants. They told the uh, the newspaper, the Smalin Spotsen newspaper. The floor then started to give way in other parts of the room shortly thereafter. The smell of sewage began to waft up into the room. Quote, we're going to have to find a uh, replacement premise. That according to Weight Watchers consultant Teresa Levin. But the Weight Watchers didn't let the damaged floor stop the evening's weigh-in. When everything had calmed down, participants instead moved to scales in a nearby corridor and set about to find out how many kilos they had shed. And this time the floor held. Well, that's good news. Imagine they moved to another part and it, it collapsed also. And that has got to be a big blow to your self-esteem. You go in for a weigh-in and you're so fat that you cause the floor... <laughs> You caused the floor at the Weight Watchers to collapse. Imagine you're the, the last person to come into the room and then the floor falls. That's got to pretty much indicate that, all right, you're the fat ass. Man. <laughs> That's great. 
Uh, the Florida Weight Watchers collapses. Okay, well, it's all fun and games until the floor falls. Just looking, there's so much other stuff I wanted to get to. I'm sure as soon as I finish the podcast here and as soon as I go to save it and start uploading it, I'm sure I'm going to sit here and go, man, I should have talked about this too. I do. I really do have more stuff that I could get to. But then I'm kind of thinking about the audience too. I'm like, well, how many, how much are people willing to download? How long are people willing to listen? As it is, this is already a two-hour commitment. So unless your commute to work or unless your walk or unless you're, you're taking a, a really long time to go someplace and listen to the show or unless you just have a lot of time to devote to me, and I, I really appreciate it if you do. This has been quite a time commitment. All right. For me, too. The difference is I don't have a life, so I could literally sit here and do a 20-hour show. And since I only sleep about four hours a night, not even... I literally could if you don't mind me going to the bathroom while I do the show. Why not? You know, people have those... Uh, at this point, people tweet about everything that they do, including their bodily functions. Having dinner right now, just belched. We're going to get to the point... Excuse me. We're going to get to the point where people literally just have a camera on them 24-7. Not just like reality shows, but people will just do that on their own websites. Well, they already do, but I'm talking about for non-porn purposes. People will just have cameras all over the place, or they'll just have their own camera or microphone, and you'll get to hear everything that goes on in their life. That's where we're at with society. Why not? I might as well just blaze the trail. All right, you want to get in touch with the show, mike at kmgx.com. The email address, it's mike at kmgx.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Incidentally, mike at kmgx.com is the PayPal address if you want to donate. Make a generous contribution. I know the people of Haiti need money, but I need it too. I'm living almost in as much destitute. Almost. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. I will do a podcast tomorrow, unless I don't have a voice, which it's starting to sound like I won't. That's what happens when you do two hours of radio. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody.